I had to receive a vaccine, both vaccines, after he had his blood clots in his lungs in order to keep my job. So, um, I'll, 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 I'll get to that. Okay. I, I just, just one more. So just, my quality of life Yeah, just, just with Kirk and then we'll talk. I want to I um, get to that. I'll wake up in the middle of the night to see if he's still breathing. I'm nervous to leave the house sometimes because I don't know if he's going to be okay. I, he's different because he doesn't get socialized as much or he's not able to do the physical things that he'd like to do or talk for long periods of time. Can you describe what it was like for you to leave school on your last day before your leave? Um, so the last day of work, the last week I was at work, I was asked to train the person who would be taking over for me um, and to kind of help them with some of the um, needs that were in the classroom. So I spent the week packing up my classroom um, and if anyone is a teacher in here, they know how much stuff that teachers accumulate over the time. So. I spent that week un unpacking my classroom, but still leaving stuff so that there was a bit of normalcy for the kids. Um, and then come the last day, it was a very emotional thing for especially my classroom because they couldn't fully understand why I was gonna have to leave and they didn't fully understand why I couldn't just stay and teach them um, even though I wasn't vaccinated because I still followed all of the rules. At any point in this journey that you've just gone through, did you feel like the province, the health authorities or the province, were targeting the church or that there was religious Well, They definitely targeted the church because, um, well, for one, I don't know what it was like in other provinces, but I know in New Brunswick, a huge portion of the unvaccinated population were from the faith community. And Dorothy Shepherd approached the faith community specifically asking that they promote vaccines to their congregations and, uh, and encourage them to require proof of vaccination in order to boost those numbers to 90%. So they most definitely targeted the churches. In July of 2021, my husband was diagnosed with bowel cancer. He had surgery, they said they got it all, they were pretty sure. So July 2022, he had his one-year follow-up. They said he was clear. No cancer. Blood work was good. CT was good. Around the same time, I get a call from uh, my son that he's at the hospital and he's had uh, chest pain. And that they told him that it was probably anxiety. I said, do not leave the hospital, Connor, without a CT and a D-dimer. So they did that. And it ended up he had a pulmonary embolism. He's 23. Two weeks, around the same time, two weeks, give or take, I can't recall right now, I'm too nervous. My husband had the same with multiple blood clots. And then, and that was the same month that he was roughly cleared of his cancer. It was give or take a few weeks either way. And then within five months, my husband, at Christmas, December 20th, 2022, 
was told that he had stage four liver cancer that had metastasized from the colon. And both your husband and your son are fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine? Yeah, my husband had, uh, my son has two, and my husband had three. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And what you've just seen is some of the, at times, quite emotionally affecting uh, testimony that is taking part, uh, that is taking place as part of the National Citizens Inquiry. And I realize this may be the first time that some people in the audience are hearing about the National Citizens Inquiry that is taking place in Canada right now. So I will direct your attention to National Citizens Inquiry. Dot .ca, where you can learn more about that. They have not only the uh, full presentations of the testimony that uh, we were just watching, but they have a lot of information about the inquiry itself, including the general write-up on the front page that says, the National Citizens Inquiry is a citizen-led and citizen-funded initiative that is completely independent from government. In early 2023, the NCI, well, i.e. right now, the NCI will hear, is hearing, from Canadians and experts and investigate government's COVID-19 policies in a fair and impartial manner. The NCI's purpose is to listen, to learn, and to recommend what went right, what went wrong, how can Canadians and our governments better react to national crises in the future in a manner that balances the interests of all members of our society? All right, some pretty important questions. So I will leave you to explore that at your leisure. Of course, that will be linked up in the show notes for this conversation. But it is a conversation because rather than simply talking about or speculating about this inquiry, we're going to talk to someone who is involved in it in some way. Uh, that is Michelle Leduc-Catlin, and she's joining us on the line from... I believe, from Alberta, from my home and native land of Alberta. Is that true? That is true, actually. I just arrived in uh, Edmonton yesterday. Oh, Edmonton. Well, the wrong part of Alberta, but okay. Well, close <laughs> enough. All right. We'll be in Red Deer tomorrow. Excellent. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. But before we get into the inquiry itself and its proceedings, let's talk a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the inquiry. Well, I guess, you know, like many people, I started questioning what was happening in Canada. And two years ago, I just shut everything down and started writing about as much evidence as I could find, full time, unpaid, you know, just trying to get the word out. And through that process, I then followed the convoy, the Freedom Convoy last year, and I ended up you know, following people in the freedom movement between Ottawa and Montreal and writing about that. And then I happened to be introduced to our lead counsel who was looking for reporters so that we could have somebody on the ground because um, he was correctly, he was correct in assuming that no mainstream media would show up. And so I volunteered and he said, would you consider being the spokesperson? Well, that took me about, I don't know, a quarter of a second to say, uh, yes, absolutely, I would do that. And here I am. Excellent. Well, we're glad that you're here to talk about this. Um, so again, uh, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are learning about this uh, for the first time. Tell us about the inquiry, how it came about, and what it's attempting to do. So the inquiry was started by a number of people who just got together and said, you know, we need to hear the other side of the story. We need to hear from ordinary Canadians who aren't having their voices heard. And we did a, a poll, we conducted a poll where three out of four Canadians said they had been harmed by the mandates. 
but nobody's been questioning this, right? Nobody's been asking any questions about the policies to see if they even worked. So they literally created a nonprofit and uh, a separate um in inside the guidelines, there are the commissioners, and the commissioners are very much separate from the NCI. So the NCI has no uh, influence over the independent commissioners, who both were approached and applied, and have an agreement to be impartial, unbiased, put aside their own opinions, because of course everybody has an opinion at this point, and to um, eventually submit a report of recommendations that will look at everything that our witnesses are talking about. So that's how it came about. But it really is transforming. You know, the the National Citizens Inquiry we started with is not the one we have now because it really is citizen-run. So it's the citizens who are applying to testify who determine the direction of things, right? So we ha- we had hoped initially to have government representatives right to hear from them how do you justify these policies how are the decisions made not only have none of them applied or shown up but we've actually first invited and then sent summonses to them and nobody's showed up so the situation we're in is that we're hearing from the canadians who want to speak up who are putting everything on the table because unfortunately we are still living in a culture where reputations are being ruined for just speaking the truth. So that's where we are now. It's a fascinating process and I've been watching some of the uh, testimony in preparation for our conversation. And so just walk me through the process of this. Obviously witnesses come on, who are they questioned by? And then the commissioners at the end come in to ask their own questions. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, so we have a lead counsel, Sean Buckley, and we also have other, they're all volunteers, so we have other volunteer lawyers, usually in the province where we're doing the hearings. And so they um, interview the witnesses ahead of time to find out what their testimony is. And actually, I want to add that the witnesses who are there to testify about vaccine injury, they're actually vetted by, uh, through a... a process where we've had doctors create a form that they need to fill out and then are interviewed by those doctors to confirm that these are valid vaccine injuries, right? That's the first thing. Then they're interviewed by the lawyers to find out what their testimony is. Those lawyers, then they're on the stand, they're sworn in, and those lawyers basically ask them about their what they're there to testify about. After they have said whatever it is that they need to say, and they are usually given the opportunity to, to add, I'm going to say probably always, um, add, is there anything else you want to add? We want to have their voices heard. Then the commissioners are given the opportunity to ask them specific questions to further you know, fill in their testimony. And also some of them, particularly the expert witnesses, have documents and other evidence that are submitted just as they would be in a a regular inquiry. So this is a legitimate, real deal inquiry process. This is not some sort of ramshackle slapdash sort of thing. 
Not at all. There are there are rules to it. There's the you know the separation of those making the decisions and those running the inquiry. We are constantly evolving. I mean, when I started, I was only meant to be a spokesperson doing interviews, you know, to speak on behalf of the NCI. Well, I have a background in broadcasting. And so we decided I would travel with them. And I started doing daily summaries and doing one-on-one interviews. None of that was expected, you know. It was just, oh, we should do this. And then we have a team of volunteers to help put all this out on social media. So everything's evolving as people both are needed and also people want to participate. So there's that that natural extension. So doubtless the CBC and other corporate and and, uh, establishment media are all over this and covering every (laughs) meeting of the inquiry, right? Naturally, naturally. (laughs) Uh, I wish I could tell you that. But um, in fact, we've only had, in in fact, we've only had um, one mainstream media piece, and that was actually CBC, surprisingly enough. And I think that was because we had a couple of people who had a contact in Winnipeg who who knew the people at the CBC there. They came and they did a balanced piece, which we were delighted by, but there's been nothing since. And nothing you would think that that would incentivize their competition, you know, CTV or global, to say, hey, they got a story, we should go do the story. But no, absolute silence. Perhaps unsurprising. Surprising only that, yeah, the CBC even bothered to cover it once, actually, from my perspective. But uh, all right, interesting to hear. And I will dig up that that uh, that piece and mm-hmm. and study it myself. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the... Uh, natural objections that I know my audience in particular might have to a process like this or some of the pitfalls that it might have. And one of them might present itself in that opening um, introductory statement that I was reading from on the N- uh, NCI website, uh, in which it says, uh, how can Canadians and our governments better react to national crises in the future in a manner that balances the interests of all members of our society, which sounds like the kind of political mealy-mouthed spiel that we hear from politicians all the time. Oh, there's a national crisis, so we have to balance rights versus obligations and all of that. It sounds like it's parroting that sort of language. Tell us about the inquiry's position on this issue. Was there a national crisis of a coronavirus pandemic that people should have been concerned about? And if there was, should there be a balance between rights and obligations in such a situation? These are really good questions. So, In terms of the language used, I mean, the language was used before we knew what we had. (laughs) So I'll start there. Um, In terms of the political aspect, this is completely apolitical. And I have seen and met people from across the political spectrum. I mean, literally from, you know, we had one witness who was a a Green Party activist, you know, uh, to you know, another witness who's a PPC candidate, right? So it really is broad ranging. This is not meant to be political. I think we are beyond that point. We are, we do have a crisis and this is the testimony we're hearing. We have a legal crisis. We have a policing crisis. We have a health crisis. We like all a media crisis. We are hearing from all these different constituents and we are hearing problems of corruption, of misinformation, you know, of quite, quite frankly, I think a lack of humanity 
that we've somehow in this craziness of the last three years lost touch with that. And that for me is the core problem at the heart of this. And let's talk about the uh, the structure of the inquiry itself and how it came together. Because I note, for example, um, Brian Peckford, for example, has uh, publicly stated that he will not be participating in the inquiry. And he has raised concerns about how Preston Manning, who was uh, part of the directors of the nonprofit under which the inquiry was established, broke the rules or what he took to be the rules by taking a uh, commission on a government uh, uh, inquiry. Um, and that was support. That was, uh, according to Peckford, that was supported by the majority of the support group, um, which runs NCI question mark. And he said that the, the group um, uh, whose members are still not identified on the NCI website um, were uh, involved in setting up the inquiry. So uh, your response to that. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things. One, I, I know that Brian Peckford has said that it's unfortunate that he has kind of latched on to that issue because Preston is one member of a number of volunteers, right? He has no power to influence anything, you know, in terms of outcomes. I mean, if he did, because he was the original spokesperson, right? So he was the original spokesperson. That would mean that I have that power. And I'm just the spokesperson. So he doesn't have that role. He took in his private life, he took um, a, a job with, with the commission, right? Just because it didn't break any rules, but because of the optics and because of Brian's concern for that, mm -hmm. he actually stepped down from chairing the, the um, committee. So he doesn't even do that. He is like one of several volunteers. And the two main volunteers who are listed um, are publicly known. Everyone else, it's just like volunteering for any committee in any organization, right? So there's the public names and then the people who are volunteering and Preston is one of those. All right, let's talk about the potential outcomes of a process like this. Um, obviously, this has no legal teeth to it, but then again, neither did the Public Order Emergency Commission that uh, Justice Rouleau was running. It didn't have any actual ability to set any new rules or make any new laws or uh, have any legal ramifications in that sense. So this inquiry might be parallel to that sort of a process, which we saw happening last year. But what, what then will result as a result of this? Will there be some sort of report made? Um, what, what do you envision coming out of this process? So I have two separate answers for that. One is, yes, there will be a report. The commissioners have been um, creating this report as they go, because as you can imagine, there's hundreds of hours of testimony. So they are working on that report um, as we proceed. At the end of it, there will be a report issued. I think that report's going to come out a couple months after we complete. But the other answer is, because as you said, no, there's no legal teeth. We're inventing this, right? We've created a new democratic process, right? It's actually, we're building a new muscle where we want people to participate. So I always ask people, you know, what is it that you want to see happen with this? Because this is only going to be as powerful as the citizens make it. So if the citizens of Canada go to their elected representatives and say, we demand that you look at these and you take these into consideration, then something is going to happen with them, you know. So we're and we're open to to suggestions, to ideas. We're hearing some very compelling ideas as to what to do next. Because what's clear is that we have unleashed a Pandora's box. 
people are speaking up, they're sharing the information, they're talking about it, they're making suggestions. So I really think that what happens next is going to be determined by the people. You know, I very, very much appreciate that answer because I think it speaks to the heart of this Solutions Watch podcast that I'm doing and what it is about and how it operates because I... I, I understand that just the nature of media itself and the way it's set up, people tend to set uh, to fall into certain habits of viewing as if this is a spectacle and they're going to munch their popcorn and they're going to watch people on the outside doing something that will save solve all their problems. And then when their problems aren't magically solved, hey, you didn't solve uh, you. What's your problem? Uh, it's hard to get people out of that programming mindset and into something productive, deprogramming of some sort. Um, so I can't, I, I can't say enough about that because, and, and sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, I'm so excited by what you just said, because when I, when I do a daily summary, I, at the end of each hearing day, I speak to the viewer and I, and I say, you know, I know you're used to sitting back, like you're watching TV, right. And you either wring your hands and go, Oh, well, or, you know, or you say, okay, that's fine. But no, this is not that. This is a we. This is a, a participatory. It's an interaction. So do we know what's going to come of it? No, we'd, we're just all doing our best, volunteering, trying to get a dialogue started. Absolutely. So things like the inquiry, and hopefully this could even inspire similar things around the world. Why not? It doesn't have to be a Canadian thing, but that is completely in the hands of people out there, what they do with this, what they make of it. And in that regard, again, we can sit on the peanut gallery and laugh, oh, the CBC and CTV aren't going to touch this. They're not going to talk about this, but we can. And so presumably we can make this into something uh, newsworthy by talking to people about it and making it part of our discussions. So I think Absolutely. there is a, 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 an extremely important aspect of that with regards to this. Um, uh, okay, there's lots to talk about, but let's talk about people who are interested. A, how can they find out more about the, uh, the inquiry? And B, if they are interested in volunteering or getting involved, how can they do that? So everything is available on our website, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. Um, there is a form to apply to volunteer. We have, well, Red Deer's already full, Vancouver, then we have Vancouver, Quebec City, and Ottawa. So we're we're halfway through, um, but everything's available there. You can sign the petition. That's a really easy thing to do. We have a petition. It's got over 60,000 signatures so far, but the more numbers we have, the more we can then go to a politician and say, hey, <laughs> you know, there's a million Canadians that have signed this petition. You know, it, it gives us it gives us validity. Right. It gives us power, strength um, in numbers. So that's a simple thing. Another thing is to share, share this, share this with your family. If you have five followers, share it with them, you know, get interviews on podcasts it doesn't matter how small they are you know we can make witnesses available um we can i'm available you know we're all out there so that we can share this information as much as possible and we also would love to see this be an international thing we would love to see other countries following suit and taking on this as i said this new democratic process all right uh michelle on on a more 
personal note for yourself, you uh, have now sat through dozens and dozens of hours of this testimony and t talked to many of the people involved in this. You've listened to researchers and scientists and doctors and nurses and teachers and uh, various people from all walks of life. You've heard a lot of testimony on a lot of different fronts. Uh, I hesitate to use the word highlights because I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but I, th <laughs> I, I trust you understand what I mean. What have been the highlights of the testimony that you've heard so far? So in terms of the witness, uh, in terms of the expert witnesses, there have been so many, but I think for people who are interested in the scientific information, there's loads of it, right? Everyone from uh, Dr. Peter McCullough to um, Dr. Jessica Rose, Dr. Laura Braden, uh, Dr. Robert Malone. I mean, I could go on and on about the scientific evidence, right? There's lots of it. What's been really fascinating is to hear from some of the legal experts about the weakness of our constitution, the corruption in the media. I mean, Rodney Palmer's testimony about the CBC and the shift from news gathering to propaganda is so compelling. I think it's really a must watch. I thought Bruce Party, the law professor, his uh, civics lesson, which is what it was for me, you know, on the state of the constitution was shocking. Um, so there's all these different aspects, but I think that the most compelling test testimony is the testimony of the ordinary everyday Canadians who have suffered harms because ultimately the people who haven't seen the evidence the scientific evidence the data no amount of information is going to make a difference there I really think it's hearing the testimony the heartfelt heartbreaking testimony of ordinary people that is the most important, you know, if, if I had to categorize. And those are, the, those are the testimonies that have not changed my mind, they've changed my heart. And I think that, you know, Sean Buckley, our lead counsel, has said this on several occasions, that we are changed. Every day when we sit through this testimony, we are changed. And I don't see how people cannot be changed by hearing these stories. And we have, as a country, as a society, lost our way. We have lost our sense of humanity. And if we are to regain that, we are going to need to face these stories, to hear these stories, and to learn to find that compassion and kindness that we're known for. Absolutely. Such an integrally important part of this process and something that very much dif differentiates this inquiry from the Public Order Emergency Commission, which obviously did not feature that form of testimony. On that note, I will note that you're, you are sporting a ribbon that I noticed I was am. on also being sported by uh, Michelle, uh, sorry, Colleen Branzi uh, during her testimony. Uh, can you tell fact, us about that ribbon and what it yes, represents? Yes, it says silence survivors. And Colleen Branzi gave me this and she gave it to me after I interviewed her. I said, oh, where do I get one of those ribbons? She said, I'm going to give you mine if you promise that for, if you promise that for two seconds every night you say a prayer for my family. And I wear it. I wear it as a touchstone, a reminder of why I'm doing this. And also because all of us who have felt 
suppressed, who have felt we haven't been able to speak out about what we've experienced and what we've witnessed over the last three years. We are all silent survivors. So this is in honor of her and every other witness who has had the courage to speak out and have their testimony heard. Excellent. Well, on that very note, I wanted to actually end uh, today's uh, podcast with uh, playing your one-on-one interview with um, Colleen Brownsey, a very affecting and effective testimony that people should watch and that interview in particular. So we will watch that as we play out. But before we go, I have the most important question of all to ask you about this inquiry, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. Where is the apostrophe? <laughs> should, should it be? Wait, okay, so the logo, okay. there's no apostrophe. On the website, there's there apostrophe. is citizen apostrophe S. There is also citizens apostrophe. So uh, it's, maybe this is a democratic <laughs> choice as well. This, this, is a, this is a very compelling question. And I will say that I know there was discussion before the decision was to go with no apostrophe. Now, I actually had something similar on my website. I used to do this um, online guided journaling course, and it was called the Scribblers Club. And I couldn't decide where to put the apostrophe, and so I left it out. So I can only assume that something like that happened (laughs) in the decision-making for the name. However, I will also point out it is run by volunteers. So you will see inconsistencies in terms of grammar, (laughs) perhaps, and obviously apostrophes, and you please just have to forgive us. And if you are a, a web person, volunteer your services because we could use them. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, I uh, again will leave it in the hands of people out there to get involved if you feel compelled to. It is nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. I hope people are following the proceedings as they continue. And where will you be going next and after that? Tomorrow, I leave for Red Deer. So Red Deer, we are doing hearings uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Next week, we are in Vancouver. The week after that, Quebec City. And the week after that, in Ottawa. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll be following, certainly on my end. I trust that many people in the audience will too. Michelle Leduc-Catlin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. James, thank you so much for this opportunity and thank you for everything you do. You have made such a big difference for me and for many people that I know. So thank you. I appreciate that. Colleen, I, I don't even know where to start with your testimony. You testified about your own vaccine injury, your husband's, your son's, I don't even know where to start. What would you like to say to Canadians? I just want Canadians to know that as a nurse, I've always been choice, pro-choice, but I vaccinated many people. I got the vaccines all my career, my life. And for me to come forward and tell you how drastically it's changed my life and devastated our family. Um, And I mean, that goes for four step I've got three stepdaughters and two sons um, one of which has been affected by the vaccine the other ones was forced by the army and he did not want it um, he's the only one so far that hasn't had any injury that we know of 
Um, and I just want people to know this is this is absolutely um, real. It, it this is this is way higher amounts of people that have been injured um, that are dying that haven't correlated why they all of a sudden they've got hip pain, why they're having difficulty breathing, chest pain, and they're putting it down to just part of life. And the doctors are not volunteering anything. Uh, they're actually gaslighting everybody that does clue in. And You mentioned that about your own experience, that you went to the hospital with all these symptoms, they knew your symptoms to be serious enough that they were taking immediate care of you. And then what happened? I was, they were okay until I told them when I got the vaccine that this all started happening. And then after that, you could just see the switch and you knew. And as a matter of fact, I've had friends say, don't tell them you're a nurse. Don't tell them it's a vaccine injury. Just go in there and say, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, let them be the hero. Let them come up with what's wrong with you. Then tell them, you know. But I've had them lie in documentation where I've had to call and call the doctor and say, you documented incorrect. You need to correct that because that's, you know. And like I said, the health unit that I reported my own injuries to when five other doctors should have told me that all of my issues were pre-existing. And you have a laundry list of issues that you talked about. You have a son who's injured. You have a husband who's injured. What is it, what do you think happened that people are no longer being treated treated medically because they mentioned that it started when the vaccine happened. Oh, it's clearly the College of Physicians who has been dictated to by the government and been told, do not let this out of the bag. And any doctor or nurse that speaks up against it, or like, like the other doctor testified, anybody that speaks up against it, you need to shut them down. And so they're losing their livelihoods. And the thing I don't understand is there, and I've told doctors this, right at the ER, you're putting dollars before lives. And where are your ethics? And how do you wake up in the morning and look at yourself? I don't get it. I think this is the thing that we need to address, that we need to talk about ethics, that what has happened to people's ethics, what has happened that someone could go to the hospital and be morally judged for their injury. This is a part of the story that really needs to be told. If you want to hear more about this, if you want this debate to be in the public domain, please go to nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, sign the petition, get the word out, Please donate if you can, because this is all citizen-funded. This is not a, a government exercise. This is an exercise in democracy. We need to hear more from heroic people like Colleen, who are willing to speak out publicly despite the vitriol, despite the anger, despite the accusations that are, are coming at people who are actually quite ill and need our support. Thank you so much. I'm Michelle LaDuke-Catlin for the National Citizens' Inquiry. Thank you so much. Thank you.